0: Turn again, if you will, to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, as we finish this chapter today, the last few verses. Last Sunday evening, if you were here for our study of the psalm, the last verse of Psalm 138 is a great, wonderful promise. It says, in part, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Isn't that a great promise? The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. I think in our text today, we see that being worked out in the life of Jesus. Here we have God keeping this promise and perfectly, mysteriously fulfilling his purposes in the life of the Lord Jesus, his Son. As we study these verses and try to understand what God is doing in his son Jesus, I think that we also find a reason to trust him more for what he's doing in us. For God's purpose that he's fulfilling in Jesus is ultimately to save us. So here we find Jesus not just working out God's purposes, but also then giving us an example by his life of how God works in his children. Let me read this, these texts. It's hung right on the end of Jesus' discussion about he being in the Father and the Father being in him. This discussion of who he was, the Messiah, the Son of God. And then we find kind of what happens immediately afterwards, picking up with verse 39. Again, they, that is the leaders of Israel, tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. Here he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a miraculous sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. This is a... uh, strange little text. It's kind of a little transition paragraph between this great chapter 10 and, and, and what's going to happen in chapter 11. 11. But, but what should we learn here? I think that as I've thought about this all week and uh, tried to study and see what is going on here, the thing that it boils down to in my mind is just the theme that God is faithfully working his plan. God is working his plan. Now, there are a couple of ways in which we see that, and so those kind of become our two points here. The first is this. God is working his plan through the seasons of life. God is working his plan through the seasons of life. Sometimes God doesn't make sense. Did you ever notice that? Am I the only one that feels that way? Sometimes God just doesn't make sense. We, we think we know what he's doing, and then all of a sudden he does the opposite of what we would expect he would do. God sends some missionaries off at great personal cost, sacrifice, cost the church off to the ends of the earth somewhere to do some work, and before they can hardly get started, there's political turmoil, and they get run out of the country. What's going on here? How can that happen? God's plan seems to be thwarted. It doesn't make sense. And so here, in regard to Jesus' life, what is God doing here? Early in the ministry of Jesus, it seemed that he came and presented himself as the great Messiah. And you would think that the people who were looking for a Messiah would just flock around him and say, Yes, this is the one. And instead they reject him. Hostility grows, and a few people follow him, but others just as many be- begin to be hostile to him. You think, what's going on here? And after a while, we learn that God's plan is not what we expected. That Jesus is not coming to just gather the troops and raise up a new political party and take control of the kingdom. No, he's coming to go to the cross. And he will save us by giving his life, save us by. Coming to be judged for our sins, not to judge us and set up his perfect kingdom. We say, "Oh, now I understand. He's headed to the cross." So he heads for Jerusalem, and the and the the hostility intensifies, and the leaders begin to set themselves against him. But we're not surprised because we know what God's doing. Jesus is headed for the cross. He's now down in Judea and in in Jerusalem. He's in the temple in chapter ten. The leaders are becoming hostile, and they have murderous plots going, and finally, they're about to seize him. We say, well, we're not surprised. We know what God is doing. And then we read this text. He escapes. Now he's off in the desert, talking to people, people believing. They know, what's going on? I thought he was going to the cross. Now he's not going to the cross. Now he's out in a quiet place, in a peaceful place. Why? What's the plan here? If it's God's will for him to go to the cross, why couldn't they seize him, as they did later? Why does he retreat to the desert when God's will for him is in Jerusalem? Is he running? What's going on here? Sometimes God doesn't make sense. I think the answer is that God is working his plan. Through changing seasons of our life. This text doesn't give us crystal clear information but I think there are a couple of hints about what God is doing here. One is in verse 39. There we simply read that though they tried to seize him he escaped. The hint here though is that there are similar verses in other places in the Gospels and in other places were given the reason that he escaped, the reason that they could not seize him. Because in so many other places it says, because his time was not yet come. His time was not yet come. Whether this passage says it in so many words or not, that clearly is the truth. God has a plan. God has a schedule. God has an agenda. And God's plan is the controlling factor in what everyone does in the way jesus works out the salvation that he's come to bring god is working his plan may surprise us but god is working his schedule and jesus time had not yet come i thought about this this week as i installed in my computer a, a new scheduling program to help me keep track of things and and uh it has all these fancy bells and whistles and you can keep not just my schedule, keep the church and keep Jane's schedule, keep lots of schedules in there. And they all come up, and yet, but yet behind the scenes, they're not all the same. It's behind the scenes, there's a little priority system. You assign priorities to things and if this appointment has a priority one and some other appointment has a priority three, the priority one overrules. All schedules, all agendas are not equally important, you see. And that's how life is. Everyone has an agenda. Everyone has a schedule to work that agenda. But God is working his plan on his schedule, and it preempts all the others. So you see, according to God's schedule, though it was his will for Jesus to go to the cross, and though it was his will that they would seize him and hand him over to be crucified, it was not his schedule today. This was not the day for Jesus to die. Jesus would fulfill the great Passover feast and become the Lamb of God who once for all takes away the sin of the world. But Passover was weeks away. God had his schedule. And he would send Jesus to the cross on his schedule, not on their schedule. God is working his plans. The other hint of a reason for this strange excursion that we have at the end of this chapter, I think, is found in verse 40, where we read, "Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days." See, it doesn't just say that they didn't seize him because it wasn't time yet; his time had not yet come, and so he went out to a quiet place and he enjoyed a little reprieve before he had to face the hostility again. It doesn't what this isn't what it said. It says he went to a very specific place. The place where John had been baptizing in the early days. That's a familiar place to Jesus, remember. This is the place where Jesus was baptized. This is the the place where Jesus' ministry began. This is the place where the Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dog. This is the place where he heard the voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm pleased from this place that the Spirit led him even further out into the desert to be tempted and tried as he he faced down Satan in all of his power. Well this is a place rich with meaning that Jesus goes. A place to remember his original purpose. A place to recall the Father's mandate. In coming back here we see that Jesus has completed a full cycle. He's, He's completed this ministry that God gave him this ministry of signs and wonders, of presenting himself to Israel. He's gone from the the Jordan and from the, the, the baptism all the way back to arrive there again. There's a certain closure in Jesus' earthly ministry here before he goes to the cross. In a matter of days, his ministry will change. He'll prepare his disciples for the cross and what lies ahead. He will be tried and crucified. Will rise again. It's all going to change. But this is the closure of his earthly ministry. God knows what he's doing. He worked out his plan. He brought this phase to a close. The Book of Ecclesiastes records the familiar words: "To everything there is a season." A time for every purpose under heaven. And then it lists all the different times. That was true in the life of Jesus. There was a time to press forward. There was a time for retreat. There was a time for the busyness and and bustle of the city. And a time for the quiet of the desert. There was a time to go to Jerusalem. There was a time to go far from Jerusalem. There was a time to preach. and There was a time to be quiet. There was a time to suffer, and there was a time to heal. There was a time for living, and there was a time for dying. And in all of those seasons of Jesus' life, God is working out his perfect will according to his plan, his schedule. Folks, God's ways often don't make sense to us about our own lives. But the same principle is true in us god's children as was true in jesus the son god is working his plan through the seasons of life we sometimes get confused about this we forget that there are seasons and scenes and changing circumstances we 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 begin to think that God's will for us is to live a life of quiet and tranquility with no problems. So we find the nicest, quietest situation and we just live in. Then if anything goes wrong, we say, "Oh, what happened? God must have abandoned me." No. No. Jesus' life was not constant tranquility. He had suffered before, he'll suffer again. And in a similar way God told us to expect to suffer, to expect hard times. For to you it is given on behalf of christ we read in the scripture not only to believe in him but to suffer for his name so we say oh some of us then god's will is that i should have a tough and rigorous and suffering and struggling life so then if god grants us time of peace and tranquility we say oh i must be out of god's will i'm out of the battle no god led jesus out into the desert and there are plenty of people to reach in Jerusalem. He led him out into the desert. Time of peace, faithful labor. Not just to be tempted, but to be quiet and refreshed. And see, God leads us that way. Sometimes back to old places where we met the Lord, where our vision for our life, where our faith is renewed sometimes to quiet places where we can think more deeply than we normally think in the midst of the crowd where we can commune with the Lord and then sometimes back into the thick of the battle where he may call us to lay on our lives but you see in all of these things God's will is being worked out perfectly God works. His plan through the seasons and changing scenes of life. Oh, there's such encouragements in God's word about that. The one we read at the beginning, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your love, O oh Lord, endures forever. Don't abandon the work of your hands." Or, so, or Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, a promise written to God's people in the darkest hour of Old Testament history and there God wrote for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you not to harm you to give you hope and a future or, or the great New Testament promise and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose What are all those verses saying? God faithfully works His plan through all the seasons and circumstances of our lives. We sing a song that says that same thing beautifully. In shady green pastures so rich and so sweet, God leads His dear children along. Where the water's cool flow bathes the weary one's feet, God leads His dear children along. Sometimes on the mount where the sun shines so bright. Sometimes in the valley, the darkness of night. God leads his dear children along. Some through the water, some through the flood, some through the fire, and all through the blood. Some through great sorrow. But God gives a song in the night season. And all the day long. God is working his plan. It's true of Jesus, true of us, and all the changing seasons of life. There's another sense in which God is working his plan here, though, that we need to see a second point. God is working his plan through faithful witnesses. Faithful witnesses. You know, we live in the day of the spectacular. Sometimes I think we can hardly take it all in. Only a few weeks ago, we had the Olympic Games grabbing people's attention with all the hype and the hoopla that the Games have become, especially when they come to America. Before we could quite get back to normal, this week we've had the Republican Convention with its carefully choreographed, made-for-television spectacle. And if you haven't had enough yet, the Democratic convention Convention is coming with its predictable fanfare. We love the spectacular. And we Christians have learned the same ways, haven't we? We, too, love the spectacular. Think of the church 50 years ago, 100 years ago, and think of the church now, and you'll see it. We don't have congregational worship anymore. We have celebration extravaganzas that would make professional entertainers jealous. Who cares about a church of 100 or 200 like this? We're into mega churches with thousands, 10,000s of people. We don't go witnessing anymore. We have media blitzes to reach a billion people at a time. We love the spectacular. Oh, and forget about the laborious task of preaching and teaching and listening to such things. Now we have multimedia presentations and drama groups and video seminars and attention grabbing programs designed to scratch every felt need of the high-expectation baby boomers that are running things these days. You see, we, just like the culture we live in, we love the spectacular. But here I think in this little text, the Lord would caution us that God is not just working in the spectacular, but God works His plan through faithful witnesses as simple and straightforward as that may be, who may or may not be very spectacular. Remember where we were last week in our study? Jesus was making a point of the evidence concerning who he was. And he said, in effect, look, forget about what I say. Just look at the miracles. Do they not have the Father's fingerprints all over them? If the things I do are the things the Father is doing, you've got to believe. Look at the evidence. So we were challenged to look at the remarkable evidence, the signs and wonders, the miraculous things that Jesus did. But given our love for the spectacular, we might get the wrong idea. It might be argued, in fact it has been argued, that if we're not seeing signs and wonders then, well God must not be working anymore. We must have... Missed out somewhere. Our Christianity must be deficient if we don't see the same spectacular things that Jesus did. After all, didn't Jesus promise that his disciples would do greater things even than he did? So where is that spectacular display of power and glory? Where are the people being healed and the, and the demon possessed being delivered and the, and the dead being raised? Where is that? Well, is God not working anymore? Well, wait a minute. Hold on lest we get the wrong idea and begin to think that God only works through miraculous signs and wonders when Jesus had just said, look at that evidence, lest we think that the more normal means of proclaiming the gospel and seeing God change people from death to life, from darkness to light, lest we think that's somehow passe or means nothing. God gives us this little text. Here God makes clear that he is working his plan Not just through the spectacular signs and wonders that Jesus presented. But he is working his plan through faithful witnesses. Not necessarily spectacular, but faithful and true. Specifically, our text talks about John the baptizer. Now even as these events take place, John has been gone for quite a while. In fact, he hasn't even been mentioned in this Gospel of John since chapter 5, and when it referred to him in chapter 5, it seemed like he had already been gone for a while. You remember what happened to him. Herod had thrown him in jail because he wouldn't stop preaching about sin, specifically Herod's sin. So there he sat in jail, and though Herod kind of liked to listen to him, but it was kind of a troublesome thorn in Herod's side. And then goaded on by a sensuous woman to satisfy his own lust somewhat under whim, Herod had John's head cut off, brought to him at a platter at a party. All that was a long time ago. As these things are happening, it may have been as much as two years ago. John the baptizer was old news. Except back in the area where he had preached and baptized. There he was not forgotten. They still remember John. He never did a miracle there. He never held any position of power. He never ran for political office. He was never even a leader in the synagogue. He never ran a big ministry. John only did one thing out there in that Rural area, he bore witness to the coming of Jesus. He said, Get ready, the Messiah's coming, the kingdom's about to appear. Get ready, turn around, repent, the kingdom's coming. And when Jesus appeared, he said, There he is, that's him, the Lamb of God. He bore witness to Jesus, that's all he did. What do you think about John? What did he ever do? never built an organization, never never, never built a great institution, never raised a lot of money, never held a high office. He just was a witness, a voice out in the wilderness telling what he knew about Jesus. Great New Testament scholar D.A. Carson writes, John's greatness consists in the faithfulness, clarity, and veracity of his witness to Jesus. That's all. And now he's gone. He's been gone for months, maybe years. And Jesus appears. Back in the area where John used to work. And what happens when Jesus comes? Verse 41 says, many people came to Jesus. Saying, all John said about this man is true. And verse 42 says, in that place, many believed in Jesus. Now Jesus had just been in Jerusalem, the holy city. He had just worked and taught in the very temple itself. He had just done signs and wonders in the presence of the greatest leaders of the land. And there, very few saw the light and believed. And there he comes out into the desert and he does no miracles. Out amongst people who are nobodies as far as the leaders are concerned. And here many people believe and are made new. What's the difference? Why great success in the desert and nobody's listening in Jerusalem? Why? God had worked his plan through a faithful witness, John. That's all. John had witnessed faithfully, and their hearts were ready. They saw Jesus, and they believed. Not to John's glory, to Jesus' glory. Folks, you and I don't control whether we ever see miracles or not. In spite of all the Christian hype and spectacularism, it doesn't seem that God is pleased to do many signs and wonders these days. Instead God has been pleased to do his work by entrusting the gospel to witnesses with names like yours and mine witnesses who he called to be faithful to tell what we know In fact according to Jesus this is the great manifestation of the Holy Spirit he promises his apostles in Acts 1:8 you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses here and to the ends of the world. That's what the Spirit does. Makes us witnesses. Now we may not be very spectacular. We may have no power to do signs and wonders. But this, the Spirit, does empower us to do. To bear witness to the things we know. To order our lives in such a way and open our mouths in such a way that we show and tell Jesus. That's all. Witness. And this is how God is pleased to advance His cause. God is working His plan, not through signs and wonders. That certainly authenticated Jesus and the early church, but That's not what God's doing. He's working his plan through faithful witnesses. Witnesses like John. God is working his plan. As I prepared to preach this morning, I often thought, boy, this is not very glorious material here. This is a strange little paragraph to preach on. It's all pretty mundane pretty unimpressive don't have anything to say that you haven't heard before this is not very likely to be a spectacular sermon i thought preachers think that way sometimes you know but then it dawned on me you know that's how life is life is rather mundane and not very spectacular sometimes it has a little sense of greatness greatness but then there're terribly downtime But do you see, that's just the message of our text this morning. That in the ways we don't expect, God is working his plan. In that kind of environment where a lot of days are just mundane, nothing spectacular. When we don't understand, God is working his plan. He's working His plan through all the seasons of our lives. When we understand, when we don't. When we're on fire, when we're burned out. When we're full of hope, when we're scared to death. When we're young, when we're old. When we're in the thick of the battle, when we're in a quiet place. God works His plan. He works His plan. We can trust Him. It's true of Jesus. It's true of us he's working that plan through the very unspectacular means of men, and women, young people, boys, girls, who will faithfully bear witness to Jesus. It doesn't require formal training. It doesn't require that you'll hold an office in the church. It doesn't require that you know all the answers. We can all show and tell what we know about Jesus that's how God is pleased to advance his cause doesn't seem very spectacular but this is his plan for the ages The witnesses would tell of him here to the ends of the earth that's what John was about that's what you and I need to be about that's how God works his plan amen Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the confidence that you're absolutely in control of every detail of life because we don't understand so much of the time what's going on. Thank you that you're working your will in us, even when we least expect it, even when we're not conscious of it, that you're pushing on us, and changing us. And putting us where you want us. Thank you, Lord, that you've not called us to do things we can't do. For, Lord, most of us are not very well equipped to do great, spectacular things. Thank you, Lord, though, that you've given us a a place in your plan. That you've called us to bear witness, to tell others what we know. Give us a heart to be faithful at that and to see you, Lord, working the things that are beyond our comprehension as you call people to yourself, bind your people together into your body, the fellowships which we call the church, Lord, as you represent yourself in the world through your people, oh Lord, all the wonderful things that you do when we just trust you and obey you. Lord, help us to be a people in the mundane days, in the unspectacular days, and in the wonderful, glorious days who still trust you and obey you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.